0: you have a Bible, would you like to turn in it to Acts chapter 1? I'm going to read to you from verses 12 through to the end of that chapter, which is verse 26. Acts chapter 1 verses 12 to 26, I read uh, from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible, for those of you that wonder which one it is. Jesus has just ascended to heaven and told his disciples that they are to wait for power from him. And they will be as witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost ends of the earth. They've been standing, looking up, waiting on him, wondering where he's gone. And two angels appear and say, why are you waiting here? This same Jesus will return in like manner. We explored that last week as we make our way through this book. And so we turn to verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up amongst the believers. Together, the crowd numbered about 120 people and said, friends, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit through David foretold concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. This became known to all of the residents of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their language, "Hacheldama," that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead become desolate and let there be no one to live in it. And let another take his position of overseer. So one of the men who have accompanied us throughout the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out amongst us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us to his resurrection. So they proposed two: Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. Amen. God always blesses the public reading of his inspired and his infallible word. It's a passage in the book of Acts that isn't often preached on actually because it's quite enigmatic. There are sections of it that feel quite difficult when you hear the description of Judas Iscariot's suicide and what happened and how the field was named after him. It isn't pleasant reading at all, but it's a really important passage. And as we are journeying through um, what it means to learn from the lessons and example and the principles of the early church, We come to a passage that really I want to suggest to you teaches us a great deal about how to live together in community. And it teaches us a great deal about what it means to be a listening believer and to be a listening church. Ernest Hemingway once said, when people talk, listen, listen completely. Most people never listen. I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with someone who is not listening to you. It drives you bananas. And sometimes they look as if they're listening, but actually what they're doing is just being quiet until you've finished. Do you know what I mean? They are not listening to one word that you are saying, they're just waiting until you've finished sentences so that they can say something. I used to do, I don't do it so much now, I used to have a a little phrase that I would use when somebody interrupted me if I was trying to say something. And they'd say, "Um, oh, I thought you'd finished. And I would say something like, well, since there were words still coming out of my mouth, clearly I hadn't. (laughs) We need to learn what it is to listen. The early church were really a very, very, very open and listening community. I think... That the book of Acts shows us what it means to listen. They were responsive, they were open, they were obedient, they were inclusive, they were thinking, they were reasoning, they were believing because they were listening. And they weren't just listening to the culture, they weren't just listening to their own ideas, they were listening to God, they were listening to the Holy Spirit. They were listening to each other. They were listening to arguments. They were listening to what needed to be done. They were listening to circumstances. They were listening to situations. And they were responding under the guidance of the Holy Spirit because they had learned or were learning what it looked like to listen. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. It's not just a church that has learned to be quiet, These people were genuinely listening, thinking and reflecting and watching and attentive and open. And Acts chapter one is full of listening, but the book of Acts is full of listening. In Acts chapter two, they are waiting on God. I'll come back to Acts one because I'm gonna talk to you about it in a minute. When the Holy Spirit falls upon them and then the people in the streets are listening to them as they speak in languages that they hadn't learned and they answer their questions and Peter is engaged with them culturally and socially. When they say, what does this mean for us and what must me do to be saved? He tells them in Acts chapter 3, when Peter and John are on their way to the temple, Peter and John are on their way to the temple to pray, they see a man, they must have passed him a thousand times before. It was his habit to be outside the temple, but they're listening. They see him. They engage with him. And he gets up and he walks away. In Acts chapter 4, in the council, as they um, argue and fight about whether Peter and John should be flogged, Peter and John engage with them and address their questions and are honest about who Jesus is. They listen to the accusation. They listen to the command that they are not to preach in Jesus' name, and they respond by saying, do what you like, but we're not going to deny him. In Acts chapter 5, the church is listening Peter is listening to the Holy Spirit when Ananias and Sapphira, who have lied to the church because they wanted to look like they were the couple in the big picture, dropped dead. I wonder, was the early church listening to that moment? Well, we know they were because at the end of the chapter, we're told that fear came upon all of them. I think fear would come upon us if something like that happened. In Acts chapter six, they are listening to the argument between the Jews, the Jewish believers, and the Greek believers, and they address it. They do something about it. In Acts chapter seven, Stephen is listening, and he responds to what's happening around him as he is martyred. In Acts chapter eight, Philip is listening as he is led by the Holy Spirit to engage with an Ethiopian official. In Acts chapter nine, Saul is listening when he's converted and becomes Paul, but so is Ananias who has to go and speak to him in Damascus on the street called Straight. In Acts chapter 10, Peter is listening on the top of a house when he's praying and he sees a sheet coming down with a white full of the animals that he's not supposed to eat. And God says to him, what I have called clean, you cannot call unclean. At the same time, Cornelius, a Gentile in Samaria is listening As God says to him, I'm going to send you a man. Peter gets up and he goes to Cornelius. In Acts chapter 11, they are listening as Paul and Barnabas begin their ministry. In Acts chapter 12, they are listening as they are sent out. In Acts chapter 13, they're listening as the first missionary journey takes place. Is there a pattern established here? They're listening to each other, listening to God. In Acts chapter 14, there's an argument begins to surface between Gentile believers and Jewish believers. So in Acts chapter 15, they listen to each other again at the Council of Jerusalem. They talk it out and they listen to God and they come up with a solution. These guys should have been looking after Brexit. In Acts chapter 16, Paul is listening to the Holy Spirit because he has decided that he's going to go to Spain and he's going to come to Europe and he's going to do a whole load of other things. And instead, the Spirit of God says, no, no. I don't want you to do that. And every time he tries to go somewhere, from verse nine on, the spirit stops him until eventually Paul has a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over here and help. In Acts chapter 17, he's in Philippi and they listen. Lydia listens. He listens to them. The jailer listens. They listen. In Acts chapter 18, they listen. In, Acts, in, in Ephesus, in Acts chapter 19, on the second missionary journey in Lystra and Darby and in Troas, they listen. In Acts chapter 20, he's heading toward Jerusalem. He gets arrested in 20 and 21 and 22. He listens to the accusations. They listen to him. He's listening to God. He begins to make his way from Jerusalem to Rome. Across 24 and 25, he comes before governors and officials and kings and rulers. Until you get to Acts chapter 27, when he's on his way to Rome and there's a shipwreck. This is the fastest summary of the book of Acts you've ever heard. And he's listening in the midst of a shipwreck. Everybody else around him thinks we're done for. And he says, no, you're not. Because God has told me I have work to do. He's listening, even in the storm. Even when his life is in danger. And the book ends with him listening in Rome. Acts is all about a listening church. How well do you and I listen to God? How well do we listen to each other? I wonder how many of our families would be stronger if we listened a bit more and talked a bit less. I'm the youngest of five, and my family didn't kiss the blarney stone, we swallowed it. And there were times in our house when it was just mayhem, everybody talking at the same time. I'm sure I'm the only family that that's ever happened in. We have four children, and there were occasions that were under five and a half. Uh, We were tired for six years, moving on. when they were all talking in their teenage years, we had four teenagers at once. Praise the Lord. And there were times when we would say to them all around the dinner table, hold your tongue. So that I couldn't talk. So that they couldn't talk. So that we could just have a bit of quiet. Now you might say, that's abusive. It wasn't really abusive. They didn't have to hold them for that long. They didn't dry and fall out or anything. But there are times when we just have to listen. We have to learn what it is to listen. And sometimes when somebody is presenting to you, I know I did this when I was little, I got myself into such a state that I couldn't listen. And somebody would have to speak right down into my face and say, listen, listen. When God uses your name, listen. When he speaks, listen. When he wants to get your attention, listen. In Acts chapter one, I think there are so many lessons that I could bring To you about this church and who they are and what they do. It's one of the things, one of the reasons I believe so strongly in exegetical preaching, text by text, verse by verse. You don't get to avoid the hard stuff. One of the great challenges, though, is if you get excited about the Bible, and sometimes I think I could just spend my life reflecting on one verse, and you always feel as if there's so much more in it. You can't get to the bottom of it. I wish I could explain it to you better. But there are lessons here for what it means to be a listening church. And I want to give them give a few of them to you anyway. First of all, they listened to God. They listened to Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. Look at verse 12 for a minute. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. Very odd to see Jerusalem mentioned twice in that sentence. Why? Well, in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus had said to them, stay in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the othermost parts of the earth. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, they're told that they are to go back. I think Luke, the author of Acts, is making a point here. Because he says they returned to Jerusalem. They returned to Jerusalem, which was less than a Sabbath day's journey from Jerusalem. It's as if he's saying they could have stayed if they'd wanted to, but Jesus told them to go back, so they went back. They did exactly as he asked. Go back to Jerusalem and wait. That's exactly what they did. If you read Acts 1, 4, Acts 1, 8, and Acts 1, 12, you see this strong sense of them being under instruction from Jesus. Jesus is a central figure in the book of Acts. He's often overlooked for the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit points you to Jesus. In Acts chapter 9, it was Jesus that spoke to Saul and said, why are you persecuting me? In Acts chapter two, Peter preached about Jesus. In Acts chapter four, verse 10 and 12, 10 to 12, he said, there is no other name given amongst men whereby you can be saved. And he didn't say the name of God. He didn't say the name of the Holy Spirit. He said the name of Jesus. Throughout this book, when they prophesy, when they preach and when they baptize, they do so in the name of Jesus. It's a Greek phrase. And it doesn't mean that they're using Jesus's name left, right and center It means that the authority and the power and the dominion and the freedom and the sense of victory that comes from the death and the resurrection of Jesus is the atmosphere in which they're ministering. They know they can't do a thing without him. They are listening to him. They're obedient to him. They wanna go where he tells them to go and do what he tells them to do. How did they do that? They did it by the power of the Holy Spirit, but they were obeying Jesus. Of course, they were obeying the leading of the Holy Spirit as well. But Jesus and the Holy Spirit will never contradict each other. There's an awful lot of Pentecostal and charismatic teaching about the leading of the Holy Spirit, which is nothing more than modern-day bunkum. The Holy Spirit will never lead you to disobey the commandments. He will never lead you away from Jesus. He'll never lead you into some kind of weird place. He always points to Jesus. He always points to the Son of God. It's one of his chief ministries. He lifts him up. He helps us to see him and understand him and know him better. This early church listened to God because they listened to Jesus and they listened to the Holy Spirit. And they listened in prayer as they listened to God. Look at verse 14 for a minute. All these, this is the 11 remaining living apostles. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. Now look at verse 24. Peter has explained that they have to choose somebody to replace Judas And we read, then they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them and the lot fell on Matthias and he was added to the 11 apostles. They were a community that prayed. You may be surprised to know that in the book of Acts, there is no record of a weekly prayer meeting. There are records of daily prayer meetings. They met together daily in one another's households for prayer, for the breaking of bread, for fellowship and and for instruction in the apostles' doctrine. But the idea of a weekly prayer meeting comes from D.L. Moody's revival meetings of the 19th century. You're not a praying church because you have a prayer meeting once a week. You're a praying church because you pray. (laughs) And a church that has... No prayer life has no power. And a Christian without prayer is like a human being without oxygen. These folk knew how to pray. They were praying about decisions, they were praying about where to go, they were listening (coughs) about what was next. They wanted to follow God's leading and God's guiding. They listened in prayer to what God was saying. They had obeyed Jesus. They were open and leading, open to the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit. And they were absolutely committed to keeping God at the center of their relationships. They wanted God's will, they wanted God's purpose. So, of course, they were going to talk to Him and listen to Him. How are you doing with that? I think preaching on prayer is a very difficult thing because most people feel condemned after they hear a sermon on prayer. I want to try and avoid that but I want to invite you into a listening relationship with God. What's interesting here is there aren't a lot of words in the prayers of Acts chapter 1. There isn't a lot of them talking. There's a lot of them listening. Get a notepad and a pen and sit and write. Sit in silence and reflect on a couple of things that God might have said or done in your life this week. Go home and listen to this sermon again, if you can bear it. And say, Lord, I'm going to listen with a pen. I'm going to listen and think. If you're not a words person, draw. Find techniques and ways of listening to God that can help you. But to listen to him is the most beautiful thing. For years and years and years, I have practiced a theological discipline. I don't want you all to get panicky about what I'm about to tell you. It's called Lectio Divina, and it means holy reading. Um, And it is, you will be staggered to know, largely done in silence. At least a good section of my day every day is spent in silence before God. I love to tell the story of one famous Christian who was asked by a journalist um, when she was interviewed, when you pray, what does God say? And she said, nothing. He listens. And the journalist said, well, then, when you pray to God, what do you say to him? And she said, nothing. I listen too. A large part of my prayer life is listening to God, listening to me. And I love it. I take scripture and I read a small section of it day by day. Remember, I've been a Christian nearly 33 years now. I've managed to read through the, Psal- the Gospels and a handful of Psalms. That's it. That's not very fast, is it? I also read the Bible every day. Don't worry, I have read it. But in my prayer relationship, I read it very, very slowly and I listen. I want to hear what God has to say through a single verse. I can come across a verse, uh, not so long ago, I, came, I was reading um, a verse in Psalm 46. All of you will know, be still and know that I am God and I will be exalted amongst the heathen. Took me six weeks to think about it properly and then I gave up. I thought, I've realized one or two things about that which are enough to feed me for a year. I'm gonna find another verse. Listen to God. His voice is so sweet. I don't mean you hear an audible voice all the time. But listen to him. This early church had the art of listening to him. They knew how to listen to God. Now, how did they listen? Because I think this is a really interesting lesson for us. First of all, they listened to the scriptures. When you read that complicated section from verse 15 down to the end of verse 20, you discover that what Peter has done is he has taken the set of circumstances that they are in, i.e., Jesus has gone, Judas has committed suicide, and they need to appoint somebody else. And he's worked it out from reading the Hebrew Scriptures. He quotes two Psalms to them. First of all, Psalm 69, verse 25, and then Psalm 109, verse 8. And when you read those Psalms, you'll think, how did he get to there from there? The only way that he could have done so is by reflecting before God on the scriptures. As a good Jew, he would have known the Psalms off by heart. They were in him somewhere. And he was able to address the situation that they were in and lead the community forward, not because he was a reactionary, but because he was listening. He listened to God and he listened to the community and he listened to the situation and he listened to scripture. He rooted himself in the great story of God. They listened to what God was saying. I want you to notice something because it's one of the most important verses in Scripture about Scripture itself. Go to verse 16. Friends, the Scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit through David foretold. The Scripture had to be fulfilled that the Holy Spirit through David foretold. I could spend weeks trying to stop here for you. First of all, the scripture had to be fulfilled. God's promises are always fulfilled. Peter went back to the Hebrew scripture saying, how do I make sense of what's going on today? I will root this in God's great purpose. And David didn't just write the Psalms. Of course he did write them. But it was the Holy Spirit in David that crafted those. And this one little phrase Peter gives to us, the church in the 21st century, a rock upon which to stand, a pole to tie ourselves to. God's promises are always fulfilled and his word can always be trusted. Amen. And we are living in a church which is abandoning both. We'll warp the Bible. We'll change it to say say what we need it to say. Peter is forced into scripture. His listening to God is wrestling with, being rooted in what God has said to the community of faith. We are not rooted in the latest idea for growth. We're not rooted in the latest program. If you want to be part of a church family where it's all about the shiver and the shake and the experience, I am really sorry. We're not that. We want to be as a church rooted in God's holy word. We believe that we should be tied to it. That every promise that he makes is fulfilled. Everything he says comes to pass. And in the darkest days, it's the light of God's word that we hold on to. And in the days of victory, it's the grace of God's mercy working through us that we point to. The growth that we're experiencing, the lives that are being changed, the exciting things that are happening here have nothing to do with our cleverness. They're only to do with God's grace and faithfulness. This community listened to God through his word. They listened to scripture. They allowed themselves to be shaped by it. They applied it into their lives and into their hearts. And they were changed by it, transformed by it. This is probably the biggest decision that they've had to make since Jesus has gone. And they wait and root themselves in God through prayer and in God through scripture. But they also listen to reason. In verse 21 and following, you have Peter setting out how they're going to select a new apostle. Has to be someone that has seen the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus a man that has traveled with them. And so two names come up, Joseph and Matthias. Presumably they have some level of conversation. We don't know. We can't read that into the text. But they have talked it through. They've thought it through. They've presented the two people that are possibles. I assume that both could have done an equally good job. So in the end, they cast lots to see which one it will be, but they listen to reason They think it through. To become a Christian, to be a Christian, to be a Christian empowered by the Holy Spirit is not to park reason at the door. It's to allow your reason to be sanctified and transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit so you can make good decisions. It's to look at the circumstances that you're facing, to write down the things that you need to work out and to work out a way of doing something about it. Too many of us end up thinking that being a Christian means that we never need to think. We never need to ask. We never need to stop. We never need to reason. That's not what the early church did. They listened to Jesus. They listened in prayer. They listened to scripture. They listened to reason. Fourthly, they listened to circumstances. In verse 15 and following, Peter stands up amongst them and explains that they have to do something. Because Judas is dead. It's interesting, isn't it, that he doesn't stand up and say, well, this is a mess. None of us know what to do. He stands up and says, and you can't get much more of a mess than one of the, one of the team betraying the leader so that the leader gets murdered. I mean, that's, that's quite a mess. And then that leader, feeling so guilty about it that they kill themselves. And everybody in Jerusalem knows, and they name a field after him. I mean, everybody in Jerusalem knew what had happened to these guys. They must have laughed at them. They must have thought, <laughs> they're the 120 that thought they were going to change the world. Where are they? Oh, yes, they've locked themselves in an upper room and aren't coming out. Men and women in that upper room, 120 of them. It's interesting, in verse 15, in those days Peter stood up amongst the believers or the brethren, but the context clearly displays that that is men and women together called brothers, which has implications for the reading of the rest of scripture faithfully. He addresses the whole community and he says to them, we have to do something about this. And it might feel like I'm going backwards to make this point. I'm not going backwards. I'm just trying to make the point effectively. What he does is, in order to understand his circumstances, he goes back to Scripture, and he wrestles with it, and he brings them a solution for their current set of circumstances rooted in Scripture. John Stott, the great evangelical Anglican, would have described that as double listening. One ear to the world or your circumstances and one ear to God. Billy Graham loved to be photographed with a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in another. God speaks to us through our circumstances and through scripture. And I know a lot of people that are afraid of making a decision because they somehow have this idea that if they make a wrong decision, their whole lives will cascade down around them and destroy them. I love this story because you have two different um, apostles, two different potential apostles. You have Barsabbas and Matthias. And in effect, here's what Peter says to them, choose one of them. Either of you will do. We'll choose one, and the one that we choose is the one that God wants. That doesn't sound like an evangelical choice, does it? We so often sweat blood and tears thinking, what happens if we get the wrong person? What happens if, if, if we do something that's going to, I mean, goodness me, the whole world will collapse down around me and it'll be my fault. That's not how this presents. Be careful about the will of God and working it out in your life. I've sat with people who have been petrified of making decisions because they have a wrong understanding of the will of God. They feel as if, God has one set plan right down to the socks that they will wear. I had a woman that once told me that she prayed every morning about the tights she should wear. And I said, how many different colors have you? She said, they're all beige, but there are about 10 different colors of beige. And I pray every morning about which tights to wear. Now I'm not dismissing her. I just, I wouldn't have that energy. I think I would just have to trust that the pair of tights that I put on that morning would be the ones that God would want to use. Having said that, don't ever ask me to wear odd socks because you'll freak me out. I can't do it. A little bit of my OCD coming in. Listen to your circumstances. And this isn't always easy, and some of you will definitely not like what I'm about to say. Recently, I led a church called Gold Hill Baptist Church. I loved it. Lovely bunch of people. If you're watching this morning, get to your own meeting. (laughs) And there was one young couple there called um, Dan. um, What was his wife's name? I can see her standing in front of me. I hope they're not watching. (laughs) Dwight. Catherine. Dan and Catherine Dwight. Dan and Catherine Dwight. Dan was a brilliant teacher, brilliant worship leader. I loved him. They moved into a flat opposite where we lived, they were fantastic. They wanted to start a family. Where I lived, it was a million and a half pounds for half an acre, three quarters of an acre of land. It was the most expensive place to buy a house in England. A three bedroom semi-detached would cost you 900,000. A two bedroom flat would be 700,000. He was on a teacher's salary and they'd made the decision that she was going to try and stay at home to look after the children. Nothing wrong with that decision whatsoever. And they said, we want to have more children, but we can't afford to do it here. We think we might need to move. Two of my best folk, I loved them. I said, go. Because in 30 or 40 years, you're not going to look back and say, gosh, I wish I'd been more committed to the meeting. Some of you might need to go. That's okay. See, we're seeing a lot of people joining our church, but we're never going to have a spirit that says you join for the right reasons and you leave for the wrong ones, because that's narrow-minded and wrong. Sometimes circumstances might dictate that you need to move. Caring for elderly family, looking after a grandchild that needs your support, being close to someone that you've walked with for years, a job opportunity that is in the economy of God for you. Go, don't be afraid. And don't think that we're going to put our claws into you and cling to you as if you belong to us. You're not my staff. You're not my team. You're God's team. And listening to him is important. Allowing yourself to be guided by him is important. Listen to the circumstances of your life and don't ever be afraid to allow God to shape your response to them. And know that as a leadership team and as a pastor, my my job is not to keep you in Donald. My job is to release you for the kingdom of God so that you can be the best that you can be wherever he wants you to be. Do you know what you find when you have that attitude? You can't stop people from coming to be part of the church because they don't feel as if they're being manipulated or controlled or owned. Here's a principle I'd like to suggest to you would be a very healthy one for us. We release our best always. We release our best finances. We release our best gifting. We release our best people. We're always seeking to release people. Do you know what my aim for Dundonald is? It isn't actually that this little building is full because it'll be full eventually. And it's not even that we'll have a a building that's an even bigger barn. Ooh! And that it's full. And when that's full, we'll build an even bigger barn. ooh And we'll look out and we'll say, look at those thousands of people, haven't we done well? Yay! That's not my aim. That is not even remotely near what I want to see. I want to look out at an empty church one night, whether it's 2,000 strong seats or 500 seats. And I want to be able to see the empty seats and say, They've served Jesus. They're serving Jesus. They're serving Jesus. They're serving Jesus. They're taking risks. They're doing something new. They're shining in the police force. They're shining in the hospital. They're shining in business. They're shining in the community. They're a politician. They've gone on to change the world and look at the empty seats and say, now that's a healthy church. Oh, well, you're not sure. (laughs) You pray about that because God will show you that I'm right. And I'm not kidding this time. You don't gauge a church's strength by how many people come to it. You gauge a church's strength by how many people are sent into the purposes of God from it. And that's what we're about. The irony is that you can't stop them coming when you do that. (laughs) Fifthly, they listen to each other. In verse 24, I love this line. Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen. And they accepted the outcome. Now, they drew lots. That was the way the high priest was chosen in Second Temple Judaism. That was the way Jewish leaders made decisions. They didn't call it luck. Luck. They called it providence, believing that God had gone ahead of them. So they were copying the system of appointing of leaders that they knew. And that was, these two men could both do this. Everybody get a straw. And the one that's the longest will be him. How would you cope with that? I would not cope with that. I can just tell you in advance, I wouldn't cope with that. But in the end, they trusted each other. I've said to you on a number of occasions, I'm a bit of an odd Pentecostal. You knew that anyway. Because I believe that the Bible teaches that the Spirit not only lives in me as the pastor, or in Davy, or Pep or anybody else that would join the team or the, the leadership team, The spirit lives in you, the body. And we need each other. When a church loses respect for each other, it splits. When a church loses respect for its leaders, they assassinate them. When leaders lose respect for the congregation, they detach from them but a church that listens to one another, will stay together. You can disagree with me until you are blue in the face, and you might be right. I tend to approach decisions, not assuming that I'm always right, but assuming that I must always listen. Now what happens if you listen to each other? There could be something beautiful here. This could have been catastrophic, do you not think? Matthias Barsabbas, Matthias Barsabbas. Let's assume that you were in the Barsabbas camp. Stephen, you're Barsabbas for the moment, and I'm sitting beside you, and I'm thinking, it's all right, it's all right, it's all right, Barsabbas. You'll get the straw. Don't worry, you'll get the straw. You'll get it. You'll get it. You'll get it. You'll get it. And then it turns out, um, Kenny, that you're Matthias, and I think I don't really like him, and you get the straw. It's what happens after the decision that makes a difference. Because you can say you're up for it so long as it goes your way. And then when the decision doesn't go your way, do everything you can to destroy Matthias. There isn't a single hint in the book of Acts that they ever had an argument about disappointment. Not a single hint. Isn't that amazing? They listen to each other. What if Dundonald is called to be a community where we listen to each other's dreams and we make space for them to be born? We listen to each other's concerns. Over the next year, you're gonna see us joining together more regularly in midweek meetings. For this very reason, once a quarter, we're gonna move away from our midweek program and we're gonna have a night together where everybody who is a member, who is part of this church family, We'll come together, we'll let you know about finances, we'll let you know about major decisions, we'll pray, we'll worship God. It's not gonna be an AGM once a year. It's gonna be a body meeting where we come together and talk things out, where there's stuff that we don't know what to do. We'll say, what do you think we should do? We're gonna listen to each other. And we're believing that the gifts of the Holy Spirit will be in use. That God, by the power of his Spirit, will raise up faith and will release all the things that we need to do because we need each other. I want to be part of this kind of listening church. A church that listens to God, that listens in prayer, that listens to scripture, that listens to reason, that listens to circumstances, that listens to culture and listens to one another. Because that kind of church is unstoppable. So why don't we take a few moments now? Not about Donald. Why don't you take a few moments and listen to what God might be saying to you? I'm going to pray a simple prayer and I'm going to ask you to simply pray it with me quietly. Close your eyes, would you? Would you come, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit and help us to listen to you? We don't want to be pushed about by circumstances. We want to view our circumstances through the lens of your presence. We want our responses to them to be shaped by your promises. For every man and woman in this room and watching via the internet, Help us to listen for a moment or two. Now just lift to God the one big thing that is on your mind. Let Him speak. Or show your people what you want them to do. Would you drop scripture into their hearts now? Remind them of promises you've made over their lives. Bring hope. For those that have been confused or walking round and round in circles, speak by the power of your Holy Spirit. For those that feel they're never going to get out of the trough of sadness or grief, take them by the hand and lead them forward, Lord. Let our lives be tethered to Jesus. And let us be willing to follow where you lead. For those that are in the midst of big decisions, give them peace. And excitement and joy. Let your spirit guide your people because we trust you. We trust you, Lord. Amen. Amen. We're going to close our gathering, but as we do, over the next few months, we're going to be looking at various ways of strengthening pastoral care, strengthening evangelism, strengthening mission, strengthening outreach, strengthening discipleship, a whole range of different things. We're so excited about some of the things that God is saying to us. We're going to be sharing them with you in a vision day on the 25th of November. If you want to get involved in church life here, there's space for you. If you have passions and gifts, come and have a chat to us. I'm going to be forming a little pastoral team that's going to be looking after a whole range of pastoral care. If you're a member or committed to this church and you have experience in that or you'd like to grow in it, come and chat to me and we can talk about whether that's possible or not. But there are lots of spaces that are going to be opening up here. We, we are growing quickly and we need your help. We're not growing too quickly. We need your help. We need your support. We're wanting to build and grow and strengthen our base So that we can keep growing as God wants us to. And if you'd like to get involved, there is space. There's space in our church for you. And we're glad that you're part of us. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing.